Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Ow! Fred, I, I'm going to have to take an ambulance. I got to leave. You're going to have to take over the show. We're going to have to find a new co-host for the day. Okay. Lord. Uh, I'm Fred. Uh, we are uh, doing bits because apparently AEW is now a bits promotion, I guess. Um, Tyler, uh, before we get into the show, I'm going to do a plug for us uh, real quick. Uh, in the near future, I mentioned this on the last episode, of course, at the very tail end because I'm good at this. Um, we're going to be talking with Dave Meltzer doing uh, a conversation about the Observer Hall of Fame and also doing a uh, mailbag segment as well. So if you'd like to send him a question about uh, the history of wrestling, you can do so by emailing us at hungypod, that's H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D, at gmail.com or alternatively you can drop the question in our server or our channel i should say on the voices of wrestling ser discord server uh just look for the good the bad and the hungry under the vow podcast network um don't do fantasy booking questions those are dumb um yeah but you know i'm looking forward to that unlike uh well looking forward to talking about some of the matches on aw full gear look at that transition uh, that was on November 18th, Saturday, two days ago, as we record this. Tyler. Don't worry, Fred. I am back. I would never let th these listeners down. I am their scumbag. Well, as long as we have a scumbag, what else could we need? Tyler, what a show in so many different meanings of that phrase. I was very, I was very upset. I had to buy the show because my, like, I have this, uh, this way of streaming things and the stream i there were two options neither of them were working and i'm like oh crap now i have to buy this show and then the show happened and it was like what in the world um at least you put your money where your mouth is i did and oh we're gonna talk about mr tony khan and you know what let's just start there okay um because i that's just gonna... wrote an article about this <laughs> and i i had one drop on sunday talking about it um I want to. I'm going to pull up the article, Fred, because I think that this is really important. Uh, Tony Khan at the beginning of All Elite Wrestling, and if you listen to my show a couple weeks ago where I buried the living hell out of Dynamite doing a solo episode, um, you would know and have heard this quote. So he said this in his media tour leading up to the first Double or Nothing. Wrestling fans have wanted and needed something different, authentic, and better for far too long. AEW is answering the call. AEW is about more than wrestling. It's about a movement fueled by wrestling fans who have been underserved and perhaps even disappointed by what the industry has produced in recent years. Tony Khan has become that guy. He has become the guy that he built a promotion to give an alternative to. As a booker and a presenter of professional wrestling, Tony Khan has become Vince McMahon. 
And it's incredibly frustrating and disheartening. And then he had the gall, the absolute fucking gall, Fred, to say this, which got us both really fired up. If people want to see a sports-based presentation in every match, there's 33 matches of the Continental Classic, so get ready. Strap in every Wednesday and Saturday. The same people who don't want to see any outside interference, I'm not bullshitting, I'm dead serious. If you don't want to see any outside interference, if you want to see straight wrestling as its very best in a great field, then put your money where your fucking mouth is. Tony, we've been putting our mouth where our, our money where our fucking mouths are since you started the promotion. We have been yeah. supporting this. There have been people who have been traveling to every pay-per-view. One of our own at Voice of Wrestling, Adam Berger, I believe has been to like what he went to like five straight pay-per-views and he flew to every single one of them. Almost every year we have a get together in Chicago as a site and we get a suite for all out. We've gotten suites for Forbidden Door. And you want to tell us, the people, uh, yeah, we've been extra critical because we care and we love this promotion. You want to have the gall to look at us straight in the face with a dead serious expression and tell us to put our money where our fucking mouths are. Dude, what have we been doing the last four years? You absolute bozo. We've been doing everything that you've been saying. Here's the thing. You have changed the product in the last eight months. You have brought in people who are more WWE brain. The exact promotion that you created this to be an alternative to. And you have let them infiltrate the booking with those practices. And that's why we're pissed. Because the heart of what AEW was... How you built this company is gone. Yes, there's some remnants. You had a good pay-per-view. You had a Texas death match. That was, that was fucking professional wrestling. And then you present us with MJF doing a spoof of 1980s Hulk Hogan that wasn't even good. If you would take out the entire storyline and you just have the match, the match on itself was fine. All the bullshit leading up to it has led to the backlash. You lost the plot, and I don't think you're ever getting it back because it seems like this is what you actually think professional wrestling is, and God damn it, is it disheartening. Yeah, uh, I can't really add too much to that. Um, I, I thought that quote, the put your money where your mouth is, is grotesque on like multiple levels um uh first of all it's a billionaire like yelling at people with a fraction of his net worth and like a, a real like small fraction of his net worth for not spending enough money on his shit um you know if, if you're running a business then you sell stuff to people then uh you better make sure your people want to buy your shit that's kind of the deal that's that's how business works on its most basic level and uh you know, if people aren't buying what you're selling, then uh, I would argue that you should examine what you're selling and determine what what you know they want instead. Um, but you know, I guess Tony Khan's just built different. Um, I actually just finished writing an article shortly before the show today about uh, the business aspect of that statement. You kind of tackled the fan aspect. And I thought you did so very well, both in the article and just now. Uh, I think it's very ballsy isn't the right word because that indicates to me something at least kind of positive. So I guess just stupid. I think it's just kind of stupid to uh, do a rant about how fans are, you know, need to put their money where their mouths are when you have rather openly adjusted your uh your you know the the approach of your product at least in the main event scene which is always really what drives the business of any wrestling company uh primarily uh and to do that and uh you know and then be upset that people aren't giving you money because you've kind of changed a central aspect of your business you know it'd be like the ceo of, of coke back in the 80s uh when they did new coke uh getting on uh, whatever platform he could back then and berating Coke drinkers for not liking the new soda. And uh, yeah, like, what are we doing here? You know, 
I, you know, I, I understand the instinct that the, uh, that a more sports entertainment approach to professional wrestling, a more WWE, uh, theoretically could draw you more business because they have for such a long time been the largest professional wrestling business in North America. Uh, and so you want to kind of appeal to those fans too. And I think it's also a reaction to, uh, these weirdos on Twitter, the, you know, just the randos that have no stake in your business, uh, constantly playing the AEW doesn't tell stories card, you know, which is kind of, if you actually watch AEW, you realize that's not the case, but what they want is just WWE, uh, with AEW window dressing. And uh, MJF is doing his damnedest to give that to everybody. And, you know, Tony Khan is obviously on board with it because he's letting it go on the show. Um, and what have we had happen, Tyler, in terms of business for AEW? Because really, look, if if you lose one, one fan, but you gain two, you know, you do that on a large enough scale, you've done the right thing. You're making money. Uh, WrestleNomics just did a study, released one, and we talked about this on the last show, but I'm going to bring it up again because this is kind of important to all this. They just uh, did a year every year for the key performance indicators we have for AEW. They, the overall viewership of Dynamite year over year from this quarter, quarter three of this year to quarter three of last year, has dropped by 11%. The year-over-year year for the overall TV ratings for Rampage, year-over-year, year, dropped 20%. TBS and TNT originals overall have risen 3% in spite of those AEW drops. Well, what about the key demo? It's really the key demo that you know drives the value of TV shows like AEW. Well, year-over-year, year, they're down 14%. What about Rampage? Rampage is down year-over-year year, 19%. What about TBS and TNT? Maybe a bunch of uh, younger people have just collectively stopped watching TBS and TNT's originals. That's down 2%. AEW is falling at a much steeper rate than the overall TV station. What about what about tickets, Tyler? What about tickets? Let's talk about tickets, buddy. So ticket distribution for the average Dynamite year over year. That's down 4% too. So every metric that we have is falling off for AEW. But what's also concerning to me about Tony Khan's statement is not so much, well, it is the, the, the most offensive part and most ridiculous part was him yelling about how people need to put their money where their mouths are when addressing his own fans, his own customer base. But secondly, is that his entire statement centering around that it wasn't talking about people not, you know, buying into, you know, these storylines, the brochacho line, if you will, or timeless Tony Storm, the two most uh, aggressively sports entertainment storylines in AEW at this point in time. It's that he just yelled about people expecting no interference in their matches. Interference has been part of AEW since the beginning. Have people complained about that to some extent? Yeah, sure. But not nearly as much and not as recently as uh, the sports entertainment aspects. You know, the AEW uh, fans have, you know, a large chunk of them have been put off by MJF and Adam Cole and all that stuff. But Tony's up there yelling about, no, oh, interference f finishes. All right, buddy. Uh, that's kind of, uh, kind of missing the forest for the trees. And MJF's favorite thing to talk about is ice cream flavors and how it's important to have all these different flavors, and he's trying to present a new flavor, but doesn't seem to address the fact that when he started presenting this new flavor with his main event mega push over the past half year at this point, ratings have gone down, attendance has gone down, heat has gone down. I don't know. I think it's great to pre present different flavors of ice cream, but if the crowd's telling you, if your fan base, your customer base is telling you that they don't like the ice cream flavor, maybe it's just me, but I'd listen to them.
You like that dramatic long pause? Because I'd listen to him too. And the, the Joe Lands a special. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Sometimes you, you got to take take from the best. But the big thing with the criticism that he should be listening to now, he should realize where the criticism is now coming from. It was from your biggest supporters, the people who believed in you the most, the people who praised the hell out of your product. They were the genesis of us making our own show about the company, Fred. Voices of Wrestling absolutely was a flag bearer for AEW, and not in a bad way, in a this-is-professional-wrestling way, and it deserves this praise. Well, guess what? Now it deserves the same amount of criticism. And understanding and being able to parse it out, being able to see, hey, we're criticizing this product now. Maybe you should understand why we're criticizing this product. The why behind the criticism means more than the criticism itself. Context is king. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of Eric Bischoff, but he's right. Context is king, and that can go across multiple mediums and platforms. If you don't have context, what does it matter? You have to understand the context behind something. We're criticizing the product because it deserves it, because we care about it, because we want it to thrive and be successful. You can't just sit in a room with a bunch of yes men. You're going to create a bunch of shit. And right now, this company is trending a lot more towards shit than it is uh, like gold. It's the gall, the arrogance, the misunderstanding, and the gotten-to-ness of Tony Khan in that presser. It's just awful stuff. Like, we could beat this drum, and we probably will continue to beat this drum throughout the rest of the show, but we have a pay-per-view to cover, Fred. We have a pay-per-view to cover. We sure do. I have to ask you, the old... Uh, Joe Lanza gimmick. Did you watch the pre-show? Well, uh, Tyler, I uh, I did. Uh, in fact, I reviewed it for VoicesOfWrestling.com. Um, yeah, I watched the. I I skipped the first half hour of the pre-show because I don't need to watch that shit. Uh, which is just the WWE-ish uh, talking head stuff. Hmm, interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, nevertheless. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I thought the pre-show was fine. We definitely didn't have any really strong matches on it. I didn't even love the Eddie Kingston match, which for me is, uh, something. Uh, I am something of an Eddie Kingston mark at this point in my life. Uh, but I thought his match with, uh, Jay Lethal was just fine. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, I liked the Buddy Matthews-Claudio match. Uh, I went three and three quarters on that as easily the best match of the pre-show. And then, uh, well, we had the Ring of Honor World Tag Match. And... Shocker of shockers, I didn't think it was particularly special. Yeah. Um, I liked Kingston and Lethal. thought it was everything it, it should have been. Um, Claudio Buddy, they have a better match in them. That was it was a nice little treat for a pre-show. Nothing wrong with that. And then yeah, the tag match. It existed. Um God, you remember when pre-shows used to be fun when you got uh, uh Yoshinobu Kanemaru teaming with Despi? Oh. Give me that. Like they used yeah, to very very much have a, we're selling this pay-per-view on the fact that we're giving you a great match, and you're going to see more of that if you watch our pay-per-view. And uh, now it's kind of, we're going to give you a three, you know, ranging from okay to pretty good matches, and then uh, mm-hmm. have Renee and RJ City tell you that you'll get more. Eddie Kingston, Junakiyama. Yep. That's a pre-show match. Like. Uh, I'm okay with like how they structured this pre-show. I thought it was nice. They did a half hour just on YouTube, the talking head stuff. Then they had three matches with some talking head stuff. I thought this pre the, the last hour of the pre-show was structured very well. And I think it's a good blend because you want to tell people, hey, what you have coming on the pre-show, but you're also having matches to try and sell the pre-show. I thought it was a good blend of it. And 
if they do like three matches and a little bit of the talking stuff, I think it's great. But the yeah. best talking was Eddie Kingston calling uh, Stokely Hathaway a, a bald-headed bitch. Yeah, he uh, it's the gift that keeps giving. Uh, Eddie Kingston is great at these little like 45-second pre-show promos that don't particularly build to anything but are just entertaining. So, gotta love it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's start with the main card. All right. Um, well, um, no, I, we have to finish with, with what happened at the end of the pre-show. Yeah, let's talk about that because that's really like the big story of this uh, of this uh, show. So, I Whoever thought this was a good idea and didn't think of the logic apps. And you know what? I'm not going to bury Will Washington. But what are you having Will Washington do that he's not doing the job that you hired him for? Like, I, And that's why I don't want to bury Will. But you hired Will to fill these gaps to make sure that things were cohesive, to make sure that the logic was sound. Nothing about this was sound. You have MJF go off in an ambulance. First off, they attack his knee. Then they attack his ankle. And he comes back with a taped-up quad. Yes. Okay, there's that. Two, Adam Cole cannot wrestle in the tag match, but he can wrestle for the world title later on. Doesn't make any sense. Three, this is an interim title promotion. Why don't they just make it that have him rest Jay White wrestle somebody else for the interim title? They've done it before. Why can't they do it again? Plus, why wouldn't Samoa Joe be jumping, chomping at the bit to wrestle to defend the world title? Because guess what? Samoa Joe doesn't get a title shot unless MJF's the champion. Samoa Joe should have been like doing everything in his power to get mjf in that ring and with a win and him not being involved in the main event at all was baffling with the story they're telling and then you Um, had mjf yelling from the ambulance to adam don't let them take my title (laughs) bitch you didn't give a shit about the title at all in yeah this is just infuriating this company used to be good the problem with uh your sports entertainment uh storylines is they rapidly get more complicated as you add these little layers. And the problem with that is uh, if you don't add those layers, if you know, when you add those layers, if you don't have any care with them, then the whole thing just collapses. And uh, that's what happened on this night. And I think a lot of fans were very unhappy with that aspect of things. Um, This doesn't make I mean, the psychology of this, the, and just the flow of the story is nonsensical at this point. And also, you know, additionally, we, we've been building for, for weeks that the devil or whoever is in the devil mask, the devil is going to do something, right? And then they do nothing. They don't show up. There's no tease. There's absolutely no progression with this. That's part of the storyline. What's the point? What are we doing here? I don't know. I just genuinely do not know. Odie's staring at me like, Dad, why are you yelling? Why are you yelling? And I don't know. But I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Um, all right. Well, let's get to the main card. And you know what? We've already been talking about Let's talk about the main event. The yep. in-ring work as a whole, I thought was acceptable. Um, the stuff, the big bumps MJF was willing to take, and apparently um, it came out. I think today that he had to get his hip put back into place um, after the match. Yep. That's a report. The overall work in the match, I thought was good. I thought they both worked really hard. The spots were clean, but why wasn't JY trying to go after the leg? Why wasn't that the entire focus of the match? It was Um, part of it, but not the entire focus. And it should have been the only focus. It should have been a leg match. Yeah. Um, Pretty much. Like I gave this two and a half stars because Everything surrounding the match outside of, hey, they're wrestling. It was a bunch of shit. Sucked. And then MJF just overcomes the entire gun club to win the title. Why should anybody take them seriously moving forward? Like, it's it's so frustrating. I I think that the criticism, not just from you, but of people saying that he killed the guns I think is slightly overblown um, in the sense that like they just 
ran in the match. They each took a ring shot and then sold. Yeah, that's fine. You know, whatever. I, I can't really be mad about that. Uh, I think it's much more damning that uh, MJF sell job uh, after the leg attack earlier in the night, you know, it was just all over the place. And did it make sense as a story? I think that's far worse. Uh, the guns fall, you know, coming in like stooges eating, you know, punches from MJF and instantly dying. Yeah. I can't like in the realm of things that really bother me about this storyline uh, and this match. Uh, I, uh, I can't really put that in the top 10. Um, I thought this match was very well worked. I, I will give them credit for that. Uh, I thought it was just in a vacuum, a good match. Uh, I thought the crowd got into it quite a bit. And I think the crowd does care. They are invested in MJF as a baby face to some extent. I think uh, it'd be hard to really conclude otherwise, given the reactions uh, in, you know, during the match where he's making his comebacks. Um I think he uh, he had to work really hard for that, uh, and I'm not talking about the elbow drop, you know, to the floor or the cutter to the floor. I'm talking about like, you know, the constant begging and calling for uh, support. You know, he worked very hard to get that support in the match. Um, I just think that he uh, the, he's you know the storyline is kind of has like you said lost the plot. Um, and, you know, if you listen to Joe Lanza reported on the, uh, post pay-per-view review show that he has now sketched out the storyline to run through May, another six months of brochachoness. I don't want six more months of this shit. This, this ain't working. And, uh. It's it's funny because it seems like the AEW attitude, not just from MGF, but Tony Khan right now, is to double down and double down more anytime there's a criticism or a shortcoming of the storyline. And, you know, are you are you familiar, Tyler, with the sunk cost fallacy? Yeah, but I, I always get confused, like in, in my own headcanon with it, because I, I think I have some modicum of dyslexia, like. Okay. Every so often, I'll hit F instead of J, like on the keyboard. Oh, like, yeah, you know sure. what I mean, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I always get this confused. So, uh, um, like, explain it. Yeah, basically, the sunk cost fallacy is from economics, and uh, can really be summarized as throwing good money after bad. So, say for example, you eh, let's just theoretically do this, Tyler. Let's say you own a uh, wrestling company. WEA, let's call it. You're an upstart and you want a video game. So you develop a video game and then uh, you release it and the reception is kind of middling on it. Uh, a sunk cost fallacy would be after you put that out and see it's a failure and kind of conclude that there's not really a way for it to be a real financial success would be to throw millions and millions more money, uh, millions and millions more dollars, I should say, of money uh, down the hole at it to try to improve it and drag it up to respectability, but without a real financial benefit from that. That that would be uh, a great example of the sunk cost fallacy, um, this completely theoretical scenario. Uh, another example, I don't know, would be like if you're doing a storyline in the main event of your promotion and uh, it's running off your customers and you to go, hey, uh, we're going to do more of this for six more months that and you know run off more customers and not change anything to try to try to draw those customers back that would be a sunk cost okay i i'm still gonna get it wrong but i get it it's <laughs> all right <laughs> i oh, the, the, we talk about sunk cost fallacy a lot with the nfl yeah. draft and yeah and stuff but man this company is gonna gonna drive me up a wall, and I, I'm already I already cover the Vikings for a living. <laughs> that that already uh, drives me up a wall. I don't know if you saw the game last night. Oh but... no, I've I'm I'm abstaining. I have figured out. Uh, I, I I figured out where I am on the sunk cost fallacy with the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, I'm not I'm not you know shoving my hand back into that bear trap for the thirtieth time. Hmm. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, just it's just a real disappointment, you know, on top of uh, what was mostly, not entirely, but mostly a, a great show. Um, just some real disappointing creative. And uh, I do not think it's going to get any better anytime soon. And they're really just kind of fundamentally changing what this promotion is. And, you know, it's to me, it's, you know, Burger King, you know, we'll go back to the Challenger brand. Burger King doesn't sell Big Macs. They sell their own take on that kind of signature burger, you know, for a drive-through mm-hmm. fast food restaurant. They but they don't try to recreate the Big Mac. Yeah, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I've ever had a Big Mac. It's uh, it's uh, it's a McDonald's burger. <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty of McDonald's burgers in my life, so. Let's let's move on to the first. Let, let's go now that we've talked about the main event and we've already spent a half hour yelling about this stupid company. Let's talk about some of the good and let's go to the opening match, which was the six man tag between uh, Chris. Uh, sorry, what, what was it? The prophecy? No, the patriarchy. The patriarchy. One, it's a phenomenal name. Great. Uh, name. Christian, Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne versus Adam Copeland. Sting and Darby Allen. Now I will say I love the new um video on the Jumbotron leading up to Christian Cage coming out of the tunnel because it had a bunch of like little sayings on it. I, I don't remember oh, yeah. damn one of them, but that was like um like basically different ways of saying he's the best. It was, yeah, it was phenomenal. It, it's um, it, the continuation of Christian Cage uh is uh his uh tron sorry his tron entrance video is uh is great mm-hmm. and then in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe i can pull a ken griffey jr rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arena club com the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one now when i buy slab packs at arena club it finally feels like i know what i'm getting i was able to open an arena club slab pack and and i'll be honest it was a lot better than what you normally do say you go to a card show and there's a random innocuous round bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast 
Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, Passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived. And, and really, the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door you had this really made me mad, Fred. They came out to Adam Copeland's music. Sting is retiring. Let Sting have his own. But I will give them credit. It was dope as hell that Edge had half of his pace fainted, the opposite half of Darby's. And the entrance was really cool. Like, because Sting was all fired up. He, he and Edge were running around. And, yeah, it was... It was cool. And then the match happened, and Christian Cage is a cowardly bitch. It was awesome. Um, he refused to engage at all with Adam Copeland. And then when Copeland Copeland literally chased him out of the ring, and Christian Cage just left Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne to basically die. And Spear, coffin drop, done. And then they give uh or um Copeland or Darby picks up the mic and says this is Sting's last time fucking wrestling in California. And they gave him like a couple minutes. And I thought that was a cool touch. Yeah, it was a nice ovation. All right. Second match, I believe, was Orange Cassidy. Oh, what was your what was your rating on that one? Oh, I went three and a half. I, I went good. three and a half too. Okay. <laughs> well, um, that was a great conversation we just had about that story. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Um, second match, John Moxie versus Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy wins after what like five super or not Superman punches, orange punches, and then beach break. This felt like a Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns match, and I don't mean that as an insult because no. um, to put Brock away, Roman would have to hit like multiple um, Superman punches and get a spear, and that's exactly how Orange Cassidy beat John Moxley. I went I went four and a quarter plus on this. I thought it was very good, and I think the course correction. Well, was getting uh, wasn't getting the belt off of Phoenix. It was like you get it back on Orange Cassidy so you can run this match back. Um, this felt like 
the plan all along. This felt like a defining win for Orange Cassidy. Maybe they'll do a third match. And you know what? That's it's a third match where I think the 50-50 booking, like it's not a criticism because of how they've gone about it, how they've maneuvered through the first two matches and how they got there. I think doing a third match makes some sense if you get some cohesiveness behind it. I just thought this was great. Orange Cassidy had like more of an evil side to him, uh, violent side, and Moxley was loving it. And I love the little touch that uh, John Hernandez brought up in our office slack where a lot of times re- uh, wrestlers will stare at the ref and use that to kick out. No, he stared at the ref and didn't kick out. Just a little, little touch. And I thought it was great. I thought it was yeah, awesome. I, I thought this was a, a very fun match. I liked it a lot. And I also went four and a quarter on it. Um uh, I uh, just to sidetrack here a little bit. I just saw uh, breaking news that Juice Robinson is going to be out for a bit because he's uh, going to have to have back surgery. Um, Damn according shame. According to according to Fife was like he's had a great run over the past over the start of the Bullet Club Gold. Uh, and, but Fred, uh, will they have him on television with his injury? I'm, I'm need dubious, to know. dubious on that, unfortunately. But uh, it is not expected to be an extremely drawn out absence. Uh, so there's that. Uh, hoping the best for him to get better soon. Um, I think he's done a great job as uh, Jay White's lackey. Um, uh, yeah, I like this match a lot. Uh, I thought it was a, a you know a, a reasonably uh, you know it wasn't as good as their you know last pay per view match, but it was a nice effort to follow it up, and I thought it was easily a, a highlight match of the show. Yeah, great, great stuff. Um, then you had, at, at the end, um, a little bit of a beatdown on Orange Cassidy. And then you had uh, Best Friends come out. It feels like that this feud between Blackpool Combat Club and the Breath- Best Friends universe isn't done. And I'm intrigued to kind of see where the, this goes. But now we have to talk about some more sports entertainment, Fred. Yes. Timeless Tony Storm defeats... Hikaru Shida to win the AEW Women's World Championship. <sighs> the in-ring you, work was fine. Were you not sports entertained? God. I actually, I thought that they did about as good of a job as they could have to incorporate the gimmick into the match. I thought that the the get the spots with the shoes were fine. You know, I'm not exactly like hooting and hollering over here over them, but I thought they were all right. Um, I think the the far more concerning aspect of this match, and this is why I think it was a failure, was when uh, was when they basically blew every big spot down the finishing stretch, and uh, I think that that completely. Uh, I think that's a complete. Uh, Oh my god! Uh, uh, failure. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted there for a second. But an absolute failure on the on the uh, on the match. I want to give Hikaru Shida credit. She tried. She mm-hmm. worked really hard to get this thing over in the building. It just wasn't uh, the efforts to win by cheating from Tony Storm ended up being really pathetic, and I feel bad because. So essentially what what they ended up doing was she got this steel plate, put it on her butt, and then used the hip attack to go attack the corner. Pretty smart, right? Like that that's a really clever way to win because if they don't see it it's like what what is Aubrey Edwards going to do? Touch Hikaru or sorry, touch Tony Storm's butt? No. Like it, it it's unnoticeable. Problem was because of uh, her gear and how, like, look, Tony Storm has a very muscular behind. She obviously does squats. And, and, and that's not sexualizing. This is just, we're, we're talking about an athlete's physique. And when you have, have a very muscular butt, when you have something there, it's going to move. And because the butt is moving, that piece is going to move. And then all of a sudden, it's like, Two thirds out of her 
her trunks and she's like shoving it back up, therefore making everybody just look like an idiot. And it was so sloppy and so poorly done that everybody just looks like a bozo coming out of this. There's no coming back. This this sucked. And I have no problem with Tony Storm winning the title. I think the Mariah May stuff could end up being a really good catapult for her career. I mean, it worked for Mickey James. Mickey James is still a really good professional wrestler in today's space. But man, this is this is just ever so frustrating. Like I gave this two stars. The the finish completely ruined any modicum of this actually being a good match. But at least it was in color. Yeah, I was I was kind of horrified that it would uh, also be black and white. Um, I thought the work in this was decent, not not great, but decent. It was probably at like a three ish star level until basically the entire finish fell apart. Um, you know, we just had massive logic gaps here, and uh, you know, you can try something different, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. You know, you can do that every once in a while. I'm not even really mad about it. It was just like ah, oh, it's. You messed up every aspect of it from, uh, you know, Luther's, uh, you know, not having his uh, or messing up the cane shot catch um, to, uh, you know, Audrey calling, you know, calling the match and just looking directly at the uh, at the uh, the pan sticking out of Tony Storm's trunks and doing nothing. Um, But. Yeah, all that stuff happened, and I think it really ruined the match and made it bad. So I went one and a half stars on it. Just, uh, just a bummer of a pardon the pun, uh, bummer of a match. Yeah, bummer is a, honestly a good way to kind of phrase it. Just a bummer. Um, let's talk about um, the next match on the card, which was TBS title. And no, no, no. Oh no, tag. it wasn't. The this, ladder. It was, it was the, the ladder tag. Ladder match. My brain is absolutely fried. It's okay. Um Ricky Starks and Big Bill defeated. They yeah, they're so good. Kings of the Black Throne, FTR, and La Faction Gobernables. Look, this was awesome. Um the Malachi black spot early in the match where he has the, the ladder standing up right against the ropes and he uses the ropes as like a slingshot to fling the ladder forward. That I'd never that seen awesome. that ladder match before. That was um, awesome. I love that this, spot. This was a great match. It was There was high spots. There was insanity. There was... There was... It was awesome. Um, like, and I'll give credit for this to um, Rich and Joe who said it on the flagship patreon instant reaction to full gear because i had never noticed this before ricky starks doesn't take ladder bumps <laughs> he's not touching what that a worker. Thing, buddy. not until he climbs it at the end what a worker good for him he's like i don't need to do this shit good for him and they remain tag team champions i'm very intrigued to kind of see where the tag team division goes from here um i would love to see a big bill brody king singles match I think that could be yes. freaking great. Yeah. Two big men who work like wrestlers that just happen to be big. They don't work like big men. They don't work like Paul White. No. They work like wrestlers that are just big dudes. And that is when you can have something special. And I love it. I, I want to see more of this. I gave this, I think, I can't remember. It was either four and a quarter or four and a half. Awesome. I love this match. I uh, I also really enjoyed this match. I know there's you know some people, uh, Rich Creech, uh prominently um, that are just burned out on spot fests um, like this. I thought this owned though. I thought this was a really great one. Um, I went four and a half stars on it. Uh, uh, the you know the, the the spot you mentioned with the slingshot of the ladder off the ropes was awesome. Um, also, Brody King. Uh, uh, hitting the the gonzo bomb on uh drillistico on the ladder and then getting splashed through the ladder um these were all crazy spots and i loved them all oh it's um, great and uh i mean drillist roosh looked like a superstar in this match man i thought he you could argue that he was the best worker in there and like not, that's not a light thing to say uh i was very impressed with his performance and uh 
I don't know. I thought this was a lot of fun and I really liked it. And I thought everybody put on a great effort. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, uh, as my point is so popular that the crowd goes wild. Yeah, I, I had something pop up on my phone and I, I didn't realize that my phone wasn't muted. Then it, it's it's a highlighted from the Grey Cup last night, which Montreal ended up pulling it out over Winnipeg. So Winnipeg has been in the last four Grey Cups and they're on two and two. Nice. I know it's impressive enough to make it to four in a row. I mean, it's a 10 team league, but still uh, it's not easy to play all these teams consistently and be able to, uh, you know, make it happen. Plus it was a um, neutral site. It was played in Hamilton, uh, which is, you know, um, Quebec is not in Ontario and neither is Winnipeg. So, yeah, it was a good game, but nobody cares about that. Now we can talk about uh, the three-way match. Uh, Julia Hart wins the TBS title over Sky Blue and Chris Statlander. Statlander hits the that pile driver gimmick on Sky Blue, and Julia Hart um, what whacks Statlander in the back of the neck and then gets the pin, steals it, but does it with a move and doesn't just like pick her up and throw her off. Like I, I appreciated that little touch. I thought this was good. Um, Sky Blue actually looked like she cared a little bit for once, which is a slight improvement because she almost never looks like she cares. Um, I still I still don't understand what metrics they have that says that she deserves this big push, but she's getting it, and there's really nothing we can do about it. Um, we sure but, are using her all the time, man. <laughs> Julia Hart is turned into a good wrestler. Yeah, I think Julia Hart's uh, pretty darn good, and uh, uh, Chris Stantler, Statlander is pretty good too. Uh, they had a great match at uh, Wrestle Dream, I think it was, uh, not too long ago. And frankly, if this match is set up for a rematch between those two, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Uh, I think Sky Blue is just kind of, yeah, um, I, I think she just is not it right now. You know, maybe she'll get there. She's quite young. But we'll see. Uh, I can't really point to really any aspect of her game that I think is strong. Um, you know, I can't say like, oh, she's a good worker or she's good on the mic or has star presence or any of these things. She's just kind of there. And a lot of the time she looks kind of disinterested in doing it, which is I know that's become like a small talking point over the past week. But it's, you know, it's once I thought about it you know it's kind of true from what i can recall and it's wild that you know that's the case for a uh, up-and-comer really on national tv not like some vet that's been around for 15 years and maybe is burnout on their lack of a push or something like it's just i don't know it's weird um maybe that's just how she you know that's just how she is um i'm not really necessarily saying it like she needs to be pumping her fist all the time and going come on baby or something like that, but uh, yeah, it's weird. Anyways, uh, two and three quarters on this one. It was fine. Um, they could definitely do better. Two of them could definitely do better. Yeah. I, I thought overall it was good. Um, I, I think I went three and a quarter. Like, That's fair. That's fair. It was a good match. Um, yeah. The work, none of the work was offensive, but it wasn't over the top great. So I, I think three and a quarter is fair. Yeah. All right. Will Osprey. Bruv. 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 I'm coming. No, I'm not coming just yet, bruv. Listen, um, that's when I love it. That's when he's edging. Um da 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 Hey. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh I am very happy he's coming to AEW because the alternative was WWE. And, you know, even if I don't like what WWE does on a week-to-week basis, the problem with that would be that we'd have him doing a match, like what he can really do at most once every month. And uh, he'd also probably have some limiters put on him. They'd be like, well, you can't do X, Y, and Z here. That's just not how we work. Um and it just wouldn't be the authentic Will Ospreay experience. But he's coming into AEW, and like I think there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of AEW right now um, in terms of their creative. And uh, I think that uh, 
I, I I'm happy he's coming in. I just hope to God that it's not uh you know sports entertainmentified somehow, you know, I guess without a lack of a better term of putting it. I hope he's put in good creative spots and uh is pushed as a major star. Um I hope there's no like initial Jay White period where he was just like bumming around in the mid card doing nothing, if you remember when he first came in. Um I hope that Osprey comes in and it's just like instant main eventer because that's the only way to use him. Well, I don't think it was a mistake that Osprey says he wants to main event Wembley. That's not a mistake. And he should win the title at Wembley. And he should not win it from MJF. He should win it uh, from somebody who's, who's deserving of holding that belt right now. MJF's not. He's not the top star in the company. He's not the top draw in the company. He's in the company. That's it. Yep. <laughs> He's in the company. Um, It'll be, I think this is like the biggest story over the next year is how AW is going to use Osprey. Um, I think that could really actually define the long-term prospects of the company. Not really in like a, will they close way? I don't want to make it sound like that, but like just what the direction of the company is going to be. And I think that's kind of fascinating, even if uh, some of the possible results are uh, uh, not good, you know? So, Yeah. Bruv. Bruv. Uh, that, uh, it's, to me, that's cartoonish. And it's it's annoying. Bruv. Uh, you know. Bruv. I'm just, just going to pop than that, you with that throughout the rest of the time we do this If show. he starts wearing, like, track suits and, uh, you know, goes, goes full, like, stereotypical chav, then I'll have a real issue. But as it is, it's just, you know, just him saying bruv. You've ever seen the movie Green Street Hooligans? I have not. In fact, I don't think I've heard of it before. Um, I don't even know if it's on any streaming platform. I saw it at a fraternity um, that I, I was going to pledge, but it didn't end up working out because I, I didn't get into school. Mm. Um, but it's got um, Elijah Wood, and it's about like uh, uh, English street gang. It's it's a pretty good movie. Um, I would recommend it. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't mind him seeing do like a kind of like tough character like that. I, I, I could see that working. Um, but yeah, whatever you do, just make Osprey look like a bronze God. Cause he is, and maybe Omega Osprey, like I would oh, get Omega the belt and then let him lose it to Osprey at Wembley. That'll put 80,000 back in that building. Yeah. I don't even care if it's the third match. You would be at that point over a year removed from the last match. And oh, remember, yeah. Omega Okada, they were 10 months removed from their G1 match when Omega uh, beat Okada at Dominion. You can do it. You can do it. Um, all right. But now we have to talk about um, what is in the conversation for the greatest match I've ever seen. I don't yes. give a shit about the Brian Cage interference spot. I don't either. Swerve, I'm, glad, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. We'll talk Swerve about it when we get here. Strickland defeated Hangman Adam Page in a Texas death match. Oh, my God. It started off Swerve, like, not giving a flying fuck about Prince Nana's dance. Walking down to the ring, just looking like a million bucks, looking confident as all hell. And Adam Page sprints at him, comes out of nowhere, and starts beating the ever-living piss out of him. He wants his hands on him so bad, he attacked him at Wrestling Revolver the night before, and then he, he goes at him hard. This was just great. Um, it starts off with a bang, and then he brings out a staple gun. Now, I would, I would assume they're using medical staples because mm. when you pull medical staples out, it actually it doesn't really hurt. Or it didn't for me. Maybe my, my nerves are just so shot that it didn't. But they basically, it, it's the way to remove them is you you get like underneath and then it just, you pull up on both sides and then just kind of pops out. It's a relatively, I was surprised how easy of a process it was. But yeah, he just staples him, uh, staples a piece of his child's artwork to both cheeks. Oh, and then gets him in like the peck. Uh, gets him in the back, gets him in the shoulder, and then Swerve just grabs it and just starts stapling himself everywhere. Like, no, you can't hurt me. And then Amazing. he gets Hangman in the 
in the forehead. They're both bleeding buckets. And Hangman at one point is drinking Swerve's blood and then spits it straight up. Oh, and apparently he had an Instagram post that I saw. I don't know if it was doctored. I believe it's real where uh, he's got a picture of him spitting it or drinking it. And he's like, you're with me forever now. Or something I think like that's that. from uh, Paige's uh, Instagram. Oh, so good. And these guys were brutal. The cinder block, um, the barbed wire, the barbed wire chair, they went hard. And there was great wrestling. It was brutal violence. And then, yeah, the Brian Cage spot. Okay, whatever. But Swerve then hangs him with the chain. It wasn't quite as extreme as the Moxley one, but Moxley is also a, a sick, twisted individual who would take know, a spot hanging from a chain and dangling his feet. And Hangman couldn't answer the count of 10, and Swerve wins. This was one of the top five matches I've ever seen. And it's a non-zero chance that it's the best match I've ever seen. Even better than Omega Osprey 1 and 2. And I said yeah. those would be the best I'd ever seen. I thought this was astonishingly good. Um, I I love this. Um, I thought it was uh, uh, so great. Just an amazing amount of carnage. And, you know, it wasn't uh, just guys. Just I, You know, there's a difference between this and, like, your low level death match that just doesn't get it right. And this worked really well, I thought. And I loved it. I thought it was uh shockingly brutal. I thought it was really entertaining. Um and uh, this is typically not my style of match, but these two pulled it off to perfection and I think you got to give them a whole lot of credit for that. I went 5 and 3 quarter stars. Um I I can only say it's like in, you know, it's probably my number two match on the year, I think, behind Omega Osprey one, uh, but it's close. And uh, it was probably my top 10 matches of all time. It was just amazing. Oh, I might actually watch it again today, yeah. um, but I may have to go to the store and get me some energy because I am like, you can see the bags under my eyes. I'm I'm tired. I'm real tired. Yeah, we got a sleepy Tyler. Mm-hmm. Wait, uh, not much left on this card, though, so we'll uh, get you out of here, and you can uh, go get your uh, whatever the hell Ric Flair's energy drink is that you can allegedly buy. It's woo. Yes, um, that's right. All right. Golden Jets defeated uh, the Young Bucks. I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm I'm the outlier here. I didn't like this. Oh, um, no. So oh, Tyler. And, and I want to be clear. I didn't think he was bad. I gave it three mm-hmm. and three quarters. Okay. It it never grabbed me. The entire match, I just never felt like they grabbed my attention. And it, like most Young Bucks matches do, they grab me somehow. And I'm enthralled with what's going to happen next. I never got there. And maybe it was because I, I could have been distracted and I was dealing with Odie and Claire. I never got there and I don't know what the deal was, but it just, it never hit for me and I'm okay being an outlier there. I didn't think it was bad, but I was seeing people put up like four, a quarter, four and a half. I'm like, man, we're watching different things or it, it was that distraction element I talked about, but it, I, it never, it never grabbed me in that way. Yeah, I uh, I thought the I'm with you on the first ten minutes or so. They were put in a really tough position, uh, following up, you know, Swerve and Page. Uh, but I think that uh, you know they kind of worked it that way to like be like, all right, we're going to give you some time to catch your breath and uh, you know establish you know some stuff here. But I thought that the last five or maybe even ten minutes, the the real extended closing stretch here uh, was fantastic. I really liked uh, the the stuff with. Um, Specifically, I, uh, I think it was Nick that kicked Jericho low and then went to kick Omega, but Omega looked at him and was like, are you seriously going to do that? And then Matt just came up behind him and hit him low from behind. I thought that was a fantastic spot. And then once they all started hitting their big moves, I thought it was done really well. Uh, Jericho fit right in, which considering his age and everything is very impressive. Um, 
obviously he was the fourth of the four workers in there, but still like being able to perform at that level at uh, in the mid fifties is great. Um, and I mean, the Bucks and Omega are all three of them are fantastic workers. And I thought that uh, they had a great closing stretch here. And, uh, you know, I, I also liked their post-match with the Young Bucks throwing a, a fit about losing um, and continuing their heel turn. I think they're definitely at their best as heels. And uh, I think, you know, honestly, I think it should be a while before they ever turn face again. Like, I'm talking years. Um I like this match a lot. I went four and a half on it, and uh, I thought it was arguably uh, probably the second best match on the show. Yeah, I'm not with you. Uh, that's good. That's fine. I'll, I will give it another chance because if other people are seeing it, maybe maybe I just need to rewatch. And... Yeah, you just like a different flavor of ice cream. That's all right. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off, Fred. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm going to jump through the screen. I'm going to punch you right in the mouth. Oh, different flavor of ice cream. God, what a bullshit analogy that is. Oh, I, I'm pissed now. God damn it. That's our show. Thank you guys very much for joining us as we get this therapeutic session of um, a bunch of flavors of bullshit. Because apparently Fred likes to uh, collect excrement from different bowls and it, try and tell me one's Rocky Road and one's Peppermint Chip. Um, you can find our show on Twitter at uh, GoodBadHungy. You can email us at HungryPod at gmail.com if you have any questions for us or Dave Meltzer. You can always find us on the Voice of Wrestling Slack. I'm Tyler. He's Fred. I'm not letting him talk anymore. Goodbye. My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungy AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW, are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voice of Wrestling Network.